Today we have on the legendary rock climber, Alex Honnold. Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, an adventure podcast presented by REI Co-op, the brand who helps get you outside through gear, classes, and adventures. We talk to experts who have taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have climbed the tallest peaks, started thriving businesses, and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy the show. Alex Honnold is probably the most recognized and exciting rock climber in the world. He's the guy who climbed 3,000 feet up El Capitan in Yosemite without ropes. A movie about his journey, Free Solo, is coming out with National Geographic this fall, and I can't wait to see it. Alex spent many years living out of his van, climbing some of the toughest routes around. He also set various speed records, but what's most alluring to me about Alex is how incredibly humble he is and his desire to live life to the fullest and give back to so many others along the way. This was a conversation I looked forward to for a long time. We talk about growing up with parents who are professors, his views on death and life, his side hobbies, which you might be surprised about, tricks for staying in Yosemite longer, some insights into the movie coming out about his free solo adventure up El Capitan, how he met his girlfriend, why being in mortal danger keeps things in perspective, living in Vegas, his foundation, and so much more. Enjoy. Alex, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Thanks for having me. We're at the outdoor retailer show overlooking the North Face booth and there's like actually people climbing like on the booth. crazy party blows. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. You know, I've listened to a lot of your interviews and you just seem really well thought out in your choices, not just on the wall, but just the choices you make on who you partner with, what you do. I'm just curious to to sort of learn about your parents and how, how you're raised. I think uh, that's interesting. I, I didn't see the question going that direction. I'm like, I don't know if I make good choices or not, but, um, or even in, no, actually I, I do try to live intentionally. So, I mean, I try you to make, yeah, yeah. I try choices. to be thoughtful. Actually, my sister is even more thoughtful than me. And so that's interesting because I don't think we were specifically raised that way. I think, you know, if I had to characterize my parents' style, it would be uh, you know, laissez-faire parenting. Like they just didn't really, they just kind of like let us do our thing. What do they do? Uh, oh, they're both professors. They're both language teachers at uh, community college. That actually explains a lot. So my parents are professors as well. My oh, yeah. fiance's parents are professors, and oh. they sort of raised us to sort of pursue like, whatever we wanted yeah, to maybe, do. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe that, that's the thing. When your parents so are college professors, they teach you to be an independent thinker or teach you to be an inquiring yeah. mind or whatever. I don't know. But also I think just through the qu- personal quirks of my parents, I think they just had other things going on or didn't. I don't want to say don't didn't care because you know obviously they cared about us, but uh, but weren't weren't that hands on? You they know, like helicopter any, parents. No, no, like far from it. That's great. Do you or, have, or their their helicopter was safely tucked away in the hangar, you know, while we were doing crazy stuff, and they were just. Yeah. Do, you, do you have an example of like a young childhood memory? Yeah, so I actually was just telling a friend of mine this story like a couple of days ago, so it comes to mind. But uh, I had an experience in high school where uh, I used to go on little bike adventures around Sacramento, and. Uh, I like biked way down to South Sac, which is pretty far from my house. And then I wound up on this connector road that links between South Sac and sort of far east Sacramento. But um, so it makes like the hypotenuse. Like, so you're out in the middle of nowhere. I'm like biking through fields. You can't see Sacramento anymore. It's like out there. And I was like, oh, I think I might be lost. I was sort of confused. I was like, I don't know, 15 or 16. 
But um, I mean, old enough. And, yeah, but that's still um, young. But so, and I passed this big rig and this this truck driver who had pulled over is like, oh, hey, do you know where Bradshaw Road is or something? And I was like, I don't know where Bradshaw is, but do you know where Sacramento is? And he was like, you know, boy, like hop in here. Like you were lost. And so he like threw my, threw my uh, bike on the back of this huge flatbed type thing. And then uh, like drove me back into town. And uh, he dropped me off in South Sacramento, like more in the urban part. Uh, but it was like dark. And then I like found my way to the river and then from the river I knew my way home and I like found my way back north to my house. And so I came home, you know, after dark, totally buzzing. Like I just had the most epic adventure. It's probably like a 70 mile bike loop or 60 or at least, which is like a lot when you're a teenager. Yeah, when you're 16. Yeah. And so flat now. I'd had this huge bike doer like all over Sacramento and I get home and like both my parents don't even like look up from their books. They're just kind of like, oh, you know, like I don't, I'm not sure if they knew that I've been gone the whole day and I'm just like. I just, this trucker and this whole, you know, this crazy thing happened, you know, nobody knows, nobody cares, nobody oh, asks. Awesome. I'm just like, all right, I guess time for bed. I feel like, like that's the way to raise you your know. kids. Like, just be home by dinner Well, after I don't dark. even know. I, well, I wonder if they even would have noticed if I wasn't home, you know? So I just cool. feel like, yeah. What do they think of what you do now? I mean, they have to be really proud, but also. Yeah, well, so my dad actually died when I was 19. So he sort of missed out on on seeing oh, how it all played out. Sorry. I know, it would, yeah, it's, it's too bad because uh, especially he'd spent so much time belaying me and taking me climbing and being, you know, generally supportive of the whole climbing. I mean, he wasn't a climber. He just took me to the gym. So, I mean, I think it was, you know, it was a big commitment of his time to like. You were 19 when he died? Yeah, yeah. My and, dad died when I was 11, just suddenly oh yeah. as well. Oh yeah, what, uh, how, heart what, attack. Oh yeah, my dad also had a heart, heart attack. It's so crazy. Running through the airport in Phoenix. Did it sort of make you want to live life? I mean, did, what did it teach you about death, I guess, at that, at that Yeah, age? no, I mean, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, so um, so actually, both of my grandfathers had died the year or two before, uh, one of whom I was particularly close to and had spent, like, tons of time with. Uh, lived right near us in Sacramento, so I always made this circle between the climbing gym and then my grandparents' house and then home. Mm. And so uh, I spent tons of time playing cards with my grandpa. And so he had died... And then, um, you know, two years later, I think two years, then two years later, my dad died. And then my mother's father had also died, but he was on the East Coast, so we weren't quite as close. But, uh, but I think, you know, the, the lump sum of that was just a reminder that life is, life is short. I mean, actually, I mean, if we're, if we're just diving deep, I mean, so the thing is my parents had gotten divorced the year before too. So um, I guess when I was 18, basically when I graduated high school, sort of the classic stay together for the kids stuff. And I think they'd both been fairly unhappy with the marriage, not like overtly so, not like conflict, not not overt conflict, but just not their best selves, you know, like not happy. And so they got divorced. And then my father moved in with my grandmother because she was now living by herself for the first time in 60 years, you know, in a big empty house. So it was actually kind of perfect in a way that he was able to like move in yeah. with her and help her. And he suddenly was a lot more interesting and happier and sort of a better, you know, I was like, oh, wow, dad looks so, so much cooler, you know, now that he's like on this different path. Um, but then he unfortunately died the next year, which was really hard for grandma who I was also very close to, um, you know, to lose like her husband and her son back to back. Though she was actually surprising. I still, I thought she lived another 10 years or so and had a great relationship with her too. That's but, awesome. um, yeah, all that to say, I think it was just a good reminder that, that, you know, to do the right thing with your life, you know, like not to waste time. I think that's 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 awesome that you say that, and I I appreciate you just being so transparent. Well, I mean, um, it all. I mean, it's that's reality. You know, it all happened. <laughs> it's like so. Everybody uh, asks you about about death and and fear and your approach to death, but I don't think people understand how much you've thought about death. 
Yeah, I actually, I, I mean, that is funny because everyone asks, like, have you ever thought about your death? And you're like, yeah, of course. Like, not just because everyone asks me about it all the time, so I do interviews about it, you know, twice a week at least. But also, I mean, obviously when you're doing things that that could result in your death, obviously you think about it. And then just, you know, having lost friends and family. And, I mean, you know, it's just part of life. Like, people die. Any advice to just other people on how we can sort of examine death a little bit more closely, like in New Zealand, I lived there for a little bit and they actually have a tradition in, in the modern culture to sleep with a dead person in the Marae for like a week. I know I'm probably butchering this, but it's something mm. like that. And they, they get yeah, really or, close or, to uh, death. Or yeah, Buddhist meditation on death and stuff like that, where you actually meditate on death forever. So it like loses its power over you. I mean, same idea. I mean, I think it's just one of those things if you think about enough and sort of accept, I mean, everybody's going to die. So everybody should be open to it in the same way. Like that's just a natural part of your life cycle. And that's, yeah. You know. So what I what I love about a lot of your interviews, it seems like you're you've you've examined death so much that you've decided to live life with a lot of love, and that you'd climb even if you weren't getting paid to climb. So it seems like you really follow your heart and what you do. Yeah, it's totally fair. Is that how you make a lot of your choices? It's funny because I do I do say follow your heart quite a bit, but like sort of facetiously, sort of joking. But uh, but I mean it is kind of true. I'm, that do what you're passionate about. And we were recently just talking about your girlfriend. You seem, you post a little bit about her. She seems really cool. You guys yeah, seem really, awesome. really in love. How did you guys meet? Uh, we met at a book event. Uh, I was given a talk in Seattle and she just gave me her number. And, and then That's yeah. awesome. Was it your book? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And she just gave you, so how did that work? Yeah. I'm so just, I, I mean, it's, like, it's like a longer story. I don't know. It's better when she tells it, but basically, you know, I was on a book tour and so, uh, well, from her perspective, she had been, I think she'd been hitting Bumble pretty hard and was kind of over it. And so she had made a decision that from now on, she was like over the online deal. She was just going to, the next cute guy she saw, she was just giving her number and just like keeping it, you know, old fashioned, keeping it real. And so then she wasn't really a climber. She'd climbed a teensy bit, but wasn't into it. But so one of her friends who was a climber brought her to this book event. It was like, oh, cool. There's this thing going on. Come tag along. And so she came and was like, oh, that guy's cute. And so she like gave me her number. Like, did um, she wait in line to get the book signed? Yeah, and yeah, then yeah, yeah. So there was like, you know, 200 people in line. I signed like a million books. How do I say her name? Sonny. Uh, Sonny? Yes, Sonny? it's uh, short for Cassandra. Sonny, you're my hero. Okay, so yeah. you... Yeah, she, no, Sonny's a strong, strong, proud woman. So she just gives you her number but, on like, what, a piece of paper, a bookmark? Yeah, just a little piece. Of, it said uh, something like, because you made me laugh, uh, something, something else, you know, Sonny with a phone number. That's epic. Okay, girls listening, or, or, like... Yes, this is exactly. Or how maybe you it's go. like because you made me laugh, and why not? You know, Sonny with a number or something like that. What do you guys do for fun when you're not like doing? Inter you're so in demand right now. Like when you're not doing interviews. When oh you're no, not I, climbing. I haven't. I haven't answered an email in a month. I've been like in full vacation mode. I've like just not been doing shit. Good for um, you. Yeah, totally. Well, what's I was like not doing a little burned shit out. for you? Like, what does that look like? Well, it's like slightly embarrassed. I've been like gaming a little bit. I was playing computer games, but I've been like going to the gym. I've been, uh, you know, just like normal climbing, but just not doing any work. What kind of computer like, games? I'm curious. It's like slightly embarrassing. I'll just go with it. Diablo three reminds me of my childhood. It's like a computer game, but, um, I just, I just erased it again. I just played like a couple weeks of Diablo like, Diablo three is. yeah, it's better. It's probably okay. better that you don't. I like grew up during Frogger. I'm a little older than yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's just a random computer game. It's just, you know. Same as anything, really. But is that kind of good right. to take your mind? I mean, because well, no, games so it's are interesting. Really good for your yeah, brain. exactly. I mean, it, I sort of saw it as like, oh, this is the same as like binge watching shows, or I mean, in some ways, the same as reading. So the reading, you obviously learn a lot more about the world. But um, 
beginning I was like, oh, you know, it's kind of engaged. Like I'm sort of paying attention. I'm interested. But the main thing was that it allowed time to just disappear, like big blocks of time mm. to be like, oh, you know, I'm just not working. I'm not like training. I'm not, I'm just like chilling. So that's interesting. You know? Cause in, in the, in the respect, in the, in the genre of time, you know, I think about you free soloing El Capitan. It's an idea. I think I heard you say you had since 2009. Yeah, It's a long time to stick with a goal. But it wasn't like a goal. It was more like simmering back burner goal. It was only like a okay. goal for the last year or two. It's still a year, a two but year no, no. Goal. I mean, it, but in an eight year dream is still a big thing like, yeah. for sure. How did you stay but, focused? Like, what are some of the things you did to stay focused? Well, I, I mean, I wasn't focused on El Cap. It was always like for the first six years or so, it was more, you know, like, oh, I'll do that next year. And then I'd show up in, El, in, in Yosemite and look at the wall and be like, hell no, I'm not doing that this year. Like, it's way too scary. And so, so you actually you know, had that, that, okay, yeah, of course. I mean, okay, otherwise good. I would have done it in 2009. And I mean, had I tried in 2009, you know, there's a 75% chance I would have done it, but you know, I wasn't really comfortable with that 25% that I didn't. And so that's a pretty high consequence. I've heard you yeah, talk about yeah. high risk versus high consequence. Yeah. 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 Of course. But yeah, I mean, it always looked scary because it wasn't that certain because there was a pretty good chance that I might fall off and die. And I obviously wasn't willing to take that chance. So what but. are some of the things you did? So that la the last year, I, re I also heard that you went off social media. No, not the whole year. Just okay. the last uh, month or six weeks or so before I actually sold it all cap. Okay, the last six weeks. But that's, yeah. that's still no, it's, as yeah, an it's athlete, a long time. That's a, that's a good chunk of time. Yeah, though I actually haven't posted anything in a month right now because I've been in vacation mode. I just like do not care. Good for you. Um, yeah, I think I think there's something to be said for just taking some 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 breaks sometimes. Yeah, well, chill. You've had kind of a busy year. Well, and so actually, that's part of the thing is that uh, the film about soloing all cap free solo is coming out next month. Um, it premieres at film festivals and then it'll be in movie theaters in uh, October. So I've been trying to, I've been calling it, you know, I'm marshalling my energy. I'm sort of like getting ready for the big push because I'll be doing a full media promotion tour around the film. When will you start but, that media promotion tour? I don't know. Um, I think basically the beginning of September is the beginning of the festival rollout. Okay. And then, uh, and then October will be theaters all over the country. I was just going to ask you, but, like, when does that movie come out? I think we're all so yeah, excited I'm pretty to sure, see it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that for the average person in October, they'll be able to go to a movie theater and see it. You've seen it, though. Yeah, I've seen it. Uh, how, how did you like the result? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. I mean, I feel slightly douchey being like, my film is so good. And, and it's a little weird watching myself for the first hour or so where you're just like, oh, you know, that's backstory and training and history. And it's just whatever. But then the actual free soloing all cap is so awesome. It's, uh, I like, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. It's really cool. Is there like any scene that you can, you can't really share any of it. Is there anything you can give us that? Well, no, I mean, I can share it. I mean, it's okay. my freaking movie. I'll say okay, whatever cool. I want. Yeah. Um, awesome. I mean, it's not technically my movie cause I did none of the work in making it, but I did climb the route. I mean, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I think actually the hard work is editing it and making it good and you know, dealing, adding the music and color correcting and all that stuff. No, I mean, it's a good film, but it basically, it's just a straight up documentary that just follows my journey to free selling El Cap. But are there any scenes where it gets, I mean, every scene is probably hairy. There's like, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of moments. I mean, so, I mean, just, just, so the opening scene is this beautiful shot of me free selling a route in Yosemite. That's uh, it's like this epic crane shot, crazy exposure. It looks crazy. And I kind of think that the average viewer would watch it and be like, oh, that's the money shot. Like that's, that's the rad thing on El Cap. And then they're going to like cut back to like the backstory that's actually just like some throwaway shot from the rostrum that like, you know, it looks like, like this is the money shot. It's like not even close to even, 
it's not the money shot, you know? <gasps> Funny. Like, and it's interesting because uh, they do, the film does a good job of not diving into climbing grades or labels or roots or names or like, there's just no, there's no backstory on any of the climbing really, except for El Cap, the route that I climb on El Cap. And so I think that for the really casual, like non-climbing viewer, all the climbing will sort of blur together into like, oh, he's climbing again, he's climbing again. All, it'll all look the same. And I think some people probably think that it's all El Cap, you know, because it's all white granites like Yosemite. Like, oh, he's climbing on, climbing again. <laughs> like, who knows what that is? But um, that actually represents a bunch of different routes over a year and a half that I built up to El Cap. And then El Cap is only the last 20 minutes or so. And it's, uh, it's, it's really good. When you're actually climbing it, how do you interact with Jimmy Chin, who's filming you? Well, so, I mean, Jimmy... Was talk? directing the film, but there were a bunch of other people filming as well. Okay. There's a whole crew. So there's but yeah, yeah, no, we totally chat. I mean, you chatted while you were yeah, climbing. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's like a good friend of mine hanging 15 feet away from me. Like, I mean, if it's really serious extreme climbing, then I'm focused and just doing my thing, and he's doing his thing, and nobody's talking. But um, but I mean, if we're just shooting on something casual, yeah, we're chatting the whole time. We're like having a great time. How long did it take you to get to the top? Uh, El Cap was uh, 3:56, so it's like almost four hours. That's a good chunk of time. Yeah. To be without a rope. <laughs> was there anything you remember you thought about or are you just a hundred percent focused? Oh no, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, on the easy terrain, I was thinking about a lot of stuff on the hard stuff. I was, uh, yeah, on the most difficult sections of the route. I was, I was a hundred percent focused, you know, empty blank mind just performing, but so much of the climbing on El Cap is, you know, five, nine hand cracks, like really technically easy climbing. Um, so I was thinking about, you know, anything. Like what you're going to eat afterwards? Well, so low on the route, I'm thinking more about what's to come or what's happening. You know, you're, you're thinking about the whole experience ahead. At the very beginning, I was slightly distracted. But it was like slightly warmer and a little more humid than I would have liked. It had been, been cloudy the day before. Um, or it had been cloudy at night, so the temps hadn't dropped as low as they could have. And so I was slightly distracted, like, oh, I'm sweatier than I want to be. Like, you know, is that a thing? And then as you get higher, you know. I had a wave in the middle where I was, I don't know why, but I was kind of overcome with gratitude for all the, you know, it was kind of like a powerful experience. Yeah. And so, uh, so I was thinking about all the different partners that I'd worked with on the route, you know, and it's like, oh, I'm so glad. Like, actually, as I climb through specific places, you know, it reminds you of, of partners that you've climbed through there with. So you're like, oh, I'm so glad that I got to climb here with Conrad last month. That's so great. Um, just, you know, that came to mind. And then up high, I had a few pitches where I, you know, I was just thinking like, I am the man, like I'm crushing this. Like, this is so amazing. I feel terrific. And then just as quickly being like, relax, depressed, like you are not the man, you know, you have to finish, you know, cause it's really easy to be like, I'm killing, I'm so good. And then your foot slips and you're like, and I'm dead. You know what I mean? So, uh, so I had moments of like, this is amazing. I feel terrific. And then be like, deep breath, stay composed, just do this, you know, climb, get to the top. Like, yeah, it was awesome. Like it, it, it was a really good experience. What, what did you do right after? Well, I mean, I was on. T- we were on top for a while, celebrating. Jimmy and uh, a couple other camera folks were uh, were shooting. Um, you know, obviously they, you know, had to shoot the top out. Like, you know, it's the end of an eight year dream. I'm I'm on top of the most important climb of my life. Uh, so we sat for a while, and then um, there's no cell service on that side of El Cap. But basically, as soon as you cross over the nose, as soon as you move to the east a little bit, there's cell service. So then I made a bunch of phone calls on the way down, which they filmed also with me. You know, letting Sonny know that I was safe and done. And calling, you know, Tommy uh, Caldwell, who's like a very important partner of mine that I'd worked on the route a lot with. Actually, not worked with him that much on it, but um, but he had helped me on it a bit, and we had talked about it a lot. He's also a pretty significant character in the film. Um, and so, yeah, was, you know, I made a bunch of calls, and they filmed me a bit, and then I just like ran down and, you know, 
yeah, that's. I have a little goosebumps. I can't wait to yeah, see this. Yeah. No, it, it's a it's a really good comedy, and do, the music is so good. And so when you combine the epic free soloing with with like a great soundtrack, it's uh, it's it's you know, a great score. You know, it's like yeah. just m- moving classical music with amazing shots. It's like it's really cool. It's interesting because so many athletes I've interviewed who've done this big wild adventure afterwards, there's like usually some sort of depression that comes with it. It doesn't seem like. Well, I don't know if you've had it or not. Maybe you can I talk mean, about I, that. I mean, you know, I mean, I just took a month off, a little bit of a funk. Like, I don't know if you call that a funk. I was just a little burnt out and like a little tired. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've had. But really you had pressure. something else. Well, so so like. I mean, I've I've heard that too. That that after big life goals, people often go into depression, um, which totally makes sense, and I understand. I had sort of intentionally looked past El Cap the whole time. That I, as I was getting she closer had- to it, I was like looking past it. So I went on this expedition to Alaska the week after to go mountain climbing. And then the next winter, I went to Antarctica for a big North Face expedition. And then, you know, I've had other climbing goals in between. And so even as I was building up to Solo El Cap, I was definitely looking at these things in the future as like, yeah, there's the always next a goals. next. Yeah, something. One of them was breaking the speed record, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Breaking the speed record on El Cap. We just did that last month or month and a half ago now. But so part of that though is also a bit of a mental trick to take some of the pressure off of El Cap because if you build up a free solo as like this is everything to me then it takes on too much weight and it seems too serious and almost makes it scarier in some ways because it's like bigger um, and so I wanted to sort of remind myself that soloing El Cap while very important to me was just one thing and afterward I would go to Alaska after, and that would be training for Antarctica and then that you know that's actually really I've always wanted to sport climb better I mean, yeah, I Good think that advice. looking looking through a goal is sort of, you know, like if somebody's training for their first marathon and they just keep building it up, it's like, I want to run a marathon, 26 miles, that's the most I could ever do. I mean, the reality is that 26 miles is not the most that any human can do. Like any any reasonable human could run 50 miles that they have to, like if they're being chased, you know? And so I think that rather than build up this marathon as like, this is the ultimate goal of my life, look past it as like, you know, this is a stepping stone on the way to whatever else I'm doing with the rest of my life. And then I think it takes a lot of the pressure off too. Because then whether you finish it or not, it's like, who cares? Because either way, you know, you're just moving forward. That's great advice. Do you do any like other mental training or any, any other weird, do you do any like weird things? Like, you know, I just had on Wim Hof who does. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not like Wim Hof. <laughs> okay, but I asked Wim if he knew you and he's like, oh, I know those guys. Cause he, he free yeah, soloed well, he a also, long time ago. I think he also spoke at the North Face Athlete Summit last year or the year before. I actually missed that year oh, because I was all in the LCAT filming process. But, um, but yeah, he spoke at the Athlete Summit and, uh, yeah, taught people to ice bath, control their breath and. Uh, actually, my friend Cedar Wright got like really into it for, for like several months. Yeah. But um, and he was doing all the crazy, you know, controlled breath exercise stuff. But no, I don't do any of that stuff. I just I just do not care. <laughs> do you do meditation, yoga, like no visualization? I stretch. I mean, you know, yoga in so much as it helps keep your body supple. I find that important. But um, but no, I don't do any of the other things. How has it been? I mean, now you're you're pretty famous. Like how, how do you handle, I guess the fame that comes with being a professional athlete? I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things. I think, um, it's sort of naturally built up over time or like it's, it's been gradual enough that it hasn't felt crazy. Like had 23 year old me suddenly stepped into the position I am now, I would have an anxiety attack and go, go flee, (laughs) you know, but I think that it's happened slowly Honestly. enough that it's not that it's not that bad. It's not too bad. Like I did this crazy climb with the pros event at the climbing gym last night here in Denver, 
um, this is like a black diamond, you know, sponsor thing. But so there were maybe four or five of us who were like professional climbers and anybody can just come and we're all climbing and having a good time. And then we do a poster signing. So basically the gym was a complete madhouse. I took, you know, hundreds of selfies, signed hundreds of posters and it was like craziness the whole night. And, uh, I mean, one, I wouldn't have been able to do that at all 10 years ago. I would have completely tweaked out because it's like, it's totally crazy. There's too many people and I've, and I was always yeah. super shy and like introverted and all scared of people. But also throughout that event, you know, probably six or eight people asked me like, oh, do you hate doing these things? Like, is this, is this kind of heinous? And my standard response is always that it's way better than having a job. You know, like I'd much rather sign posters for an hour and a half than have a nine to five or something. Cause like, <laughs> it's true. you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, yeah, cause totally. I mean, people are like, oh, isn't it terrible? And I'm like, well, it's not that terrible. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it has its ups and downs, but overall I'm much happier being a professional climber than any other trajectory I think my life could have had. And yeah. so, you know, I mean, nothing is great. You're a really gracious athlete though. What do you think you would have become if you weren't a professional climber? I was uh, studying civil engineering. So, I mean, I could Smart. have become an engineer, but. That's actually, it seems like it could be really useful in climbing and figuring out routes and where to go. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe. I mean, people like to draw things like that with like, oh, if you have an engineering mind, it's more rational. It's like, honestly, it doesn't matter. Like if you're into climbing, you spend enough time in the climbing gym that no matter what, you're going to know how to move your body. It's how like, many times do you, you think know. you climbed El Cap or just around Oh, actually, I city. counted the other day. Um, yeah, because I have a journal that goes back to 2005 of every route I've climbed. Well, actually, now it's three journals, but yeah. Um, but so... Uh, Handwritten journal? Yeah. Though That's I've taken cool. photos of all the pages, so it's like backed up kind of. Slightly kind ghetto, of. but... I think Tim Ferriss would be like, you need to put that in Evernote. Yeah, well, I know. Whatever. I don't do that either. It's like, okay. I, I, don't, I don't quite care enough. Well, <laughs> I thought about it, but then transcribing so many pages, I'm like, that is not my deal. I need an intern. Make this a public call if anyone right. wants to intern. I have a feeling <laughs> we can get you an intern. If someone wants to intern for Alex, email me, <laughs> yeah. and I'll make, yeah. get it to your agent. I know it'd be interesting because uh, I don't know uh, if I feel comfortable setting some of my journals. I mean, they're all just lists. Like, it, it's not like there's anything sensitive inside. But um, I don't know. I kind of treasure them a bit, you know. It can be a freaking uh, living in. They can move into the van for a week and just scribe. You're in Vegas? Okay, <laughs> yeah, so the yeah, intern in ideally lives in Vegas. Yeah, that, that actually. Be that, a that, little bit more convenient. Yeah, that would, that would be. the journals because yeah. they're precious cargo. Yeah. Though in some ways, I mean, if I have photos of it all, like at least it's all backed up, it's fine. How but many times? What do you mean? Oh, oh, El Cap. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, I made a note on my phone, but so I think I've climbed El Cap maybe 80 times um, via different routes. And so I have it slightly broken down by route. Like I've climbed the nose, you know, 30 something times, I think. Um, and I've climbed the Salathe slash Freerider, which is the route that I soloed um, another, you know, 15 or 20 in. You, you must have Yosemite. Maybe, maybe more than that, actually. I'll pull up the note right okay. now here while, while we chat. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. When we come back, Alex shares about being a vegetarian, tricks to staying longer in Yosemite, and so much more. This episode was brought to you by REI, a company that's raising the bar on sustainable gear. The co-op recently launched product sustainability standards that apply to everything it carries. So in addition to working with brand partners to improve sustainability practices in the supply chain, they're bringing customers more products with leading sustainability features, including organically grown cotton, fair trade certification, blue sign approved materials, responsibly sourced down, and so much more. So look for products with these features while shopping on REI.com or in store and help support better ways of making products. 
You can also check out REI.com forward slash used to find deals and help keep used gear out of the landfill. I'm curious because you have Yosemite so wired. Is there any any tips you can give people who just want to go to Yosemite and find a spot and explore? Are, are you asking me to publicly state how to, uh, no, how to, uh, how to I, cheat? And, I uh, guess I can't ask you that, but... Um, Okay, what are must-sees? This is what I asked. Okay, Beth. so here, I just looked it up. I have uh, 81 total ascents of El Cap, I think. This could be slightly wrong, uh, via potentially 18 different routes. And then the nose was 33 of those. And then it's broken down on three different ones. That's impressive. It's a lot mm-hmm. of time. Just, just how about this? If you go to Yosemite. No, I, I will say, so the thing is that people get discouraged by the stay limits in Yosemite, which uh, during the prime season is only a week um, or like 10 days, depending uh, but I think that the key is that if you're flexible about it, like basically if you play the game right, you can stay within the rules and stay as much as you want. So the, the pay campgrounds, it's like slightly, I don't want to say a discriminatory system, but, but if you use the pay campgrounds, like the, the pines, like upper, lower, and north pine, um, those are like big campgrounds where you can like park your RV and whatever, and those sites cost 20 bucks a night. But those you can basically reserve as, as many as you want. Like there's no stay limit there if you're paying for it. The stay limit is enforced in camp four, which is the walk-in campground, which is five bucks a night, which is one of those classic things where like, if you're a poor person, you can't really stay, but if you're willing to pay, then yeah, stay as long as you want, you know, or like if you book a hotel, you can stay, you know, I, I think indefinitely. But so if you do a combination of I'm staying in camp four for a week and then I stay in the pines for a few days and then there's the backpacks campground and then I drive out of the park and I camp, but like if you're living in a van and you're driving out of the park from time to time to camp and and if you're just smart about it, because if you stay in Yosemite for a month and a half or something, you have to go get groceries from time to time. So it's like if you're going to drive out of the park to like go see a movie and get groceries and chill, then you sleep outside of the park the one night, you come back the next day, things like that. Like you can mix it up. You, you can, can make it work. It yeah. Okay. Like it's not that hard to do it legit. Well, it's good to know yeah. that you don't have you, to go get because I always thought, oh, my God, I just guess I need to be rich and get an Airbnb in that like fancy no, no, neighborhood. No, no, or, no. Uh, okay. no well, there's yeah. no neighborhood. There, that's well, not the, even an option. The one that's like an hour out where Beth lives and everybody. It's better to it's better to live in a van and like float. Also, if you're in the shoulder seasons, um, like if you're a high end climber, it's better to climb in like April and November and stuff now when it's slightly cooler because the seasons have honestly changed in Yosemite. It's kind of crazy. Um, but so everywhere. yeah, but so it's not as crowded. And so you can get the campsites. Like the challenge with staying in the pines is that the the campsites get reserved, but then if you're constantly trolling it, you can wind up getting uh, cancellations and then their whole strategies for how to like exploit empty sites. Um, and it's all, and it's all pretty legit, you know, like this yeah. is all totally legal above board. Well, it's, thank so, you for all this information. Cause it's helpful. Cause it's really intimidating to go to Yosemite. It's yeah, just I think, daunting to make that drive yeah. and not know where you're going to stay. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, yeah, it is really daunting. Like, I've spent 10 years there spending maybe three months a year. And so for me, I'm like, oh, there's so many things. Like, there's so many options. It's not a problem. You just show up and you make it work and you'll figure it out. But that's, like, because I have a ton of experience with yeah. it. Um, I think if it's your first time, it is a lot more intimidating. But you kind of just have to start and you learn and you figure it out. Okay. And just try to make sure you don't get busted because um, you don't want to get arrested. <laughs> it's good to know. You know, I've noticed well, you're really, really really articulate speaker these days. And some of the North face told me you had a speaking coach before you went and did this Ted talk. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, I saw a guy one, like one guy came one day and chatted oh. with me. So, I mean, was it, helpful? Not, it was extremely helpful, but it actually wasn't, 
you know, you can't teach somebody how to speak in one day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, nobody can learn any skill in a day. Um, what he was really helpful with was the structure of my talk for Ted just helping me organize it in the right way and make it, make Telling. it a good talk. Yeah, exactly. What was your message? Um, I don't know. Well, you'll be able to listen to it when the film comes out. It's all tied to the film release, so okay. it'll come out in a month or two. Um, but basically my talk just contrasts my experience on Half Dome and El Cap. Um, El Cap being probably the best climbing experience of my life and Half Dome being, I wouldn't say the worst, but being on the whole a relatively negative experience, I think, uh, because I got very scared and it, I felt like I got lucky and it just wasn't, wasn't what I wanted. And so basically contrasting those two experiences to show the value of preparation and training and practice and those things. So is that your, I guess what I'm asking is like, what's your message when people ask you to give a talk? Like what kind of advice do you? Depends on the talk. Okay. I normally cater any kind of public talk to whatever. So to to people listening, a lot of people here want to pursue a wild idea. Maybe they feel a little stuck. There's some self-doubt, fear. You know, any advice on just, I say it's living wildly, but it's really just pursuing what you want to do. Maybe taking the path less traveled. Yeah. I mean, I always say like, just go for it, you know, screw it, like give it a go. I don't know. Um, as you were just asking that, I mean, what came to mind is that people should have more, you know, near, I don't want to say near death experiences, but, but be in mortal danger more often, because I think that puts a lot of that stuff into perspective, you know, because a lot of the fear associated with like, Oh, I don't know if I want to leave my job or I don't know if that's like the right thing. What if I'm messing up my life? If you put it in the context of, are you alive? Are you happy? It all kind of melts away. Like that all seems trivial, you know, like, Oh, but what if, what if I can't get a good job again? You know, you're like, who cares? Like, are you alive? You know, if you're still alive and you're still having a good time, it's like, life is good. You know? And I think that, yeah, to some extent, I think that, and I think that's something that I've maybe gotten through climbing and through, um, just the number of slightly scary experiences I've had climbing is that it puts a lot of the rest of that stuff into perspective where, you know, like, I think of this all the time when I'm in airports, you see people who are like really nervous flyers who are tweaking about like, what if I don't make it to the gate? What if it's late? What if it's late? You're like, who cares? You get on the next flight. You know, it's like chill. Like worst case scenario, you miss the last flight of the day. You sleep in a chair all night. You fly the next morning. You show up 12 hours late. Like who cares? Like you're going to live hopefully 85 years at least. You're not going to remember that one night you spent in Chicago, like sitting in a chair. You know, it's like, who cares? Like, so what? You're uncomfortable for eight hours. Like what difference does that make in the grand scheme of a life? A lot of things like that where I'm like, I think you need the the long-term perspective. Have you always been this chill or has climbing helped Well, no, I mean, the first time I missed a flight and had to sit in a chair in Chicago all night, I was like bummed and I kind of was tweaking. I was like, oh my God. I mean, you know, that's not a fun airport to be stuck at Chicago. Yeah. yeah, So that happened to me and and I was like, and I was bummed about it. And, you know, and you learn from the, like, ultimately you get to where you're going, life goes on. It's like, it just does not matter. You know, it's like, as long as you're still alive and still moving forward, it's like, who cares? Oh, that's so good. I want to really quickly talk to you about your environmental work and your foundation. Cause mm. we had Stacy bear on the show and he talked oh, a cool. little bit about nice. being part of it and mm. how he absolutely loves it. Like what's oh, the new, what's the revised mission of, of your foundation these days? Yeah. So not really revised, but, um, the Focused. last, well, yeah. So the last five years we just didn't really have a, a mission statement or anything like that because it was very much me giving my money through the foundation to support the stuff that I thought made the world a better place. And I didn't really feel the need to, to codify that in any, you know, to, to specify what that meant. So I was like, oh, it's obvious, you know, if it makes the world a better place, we're doing it. Now the mission statement is uh, supporting solar for a more equitable world. Cool. Which, you know, basically, which is, 
a fancy way of saying the same thing, that we're basically supporting environmental projects that, that make the world a better place. And where are these projects mostly? Um, so sort of split between off-grid projects in Africa and then domestic projects why, in the US. Why Africa? Like where... Well, so, I mean, there are a billion people on Earth without access to power, and the majority of them are either in Africa or in Southeast Asia. Um, and so, you know, we've just, I think th I think there's greater need in Africa. And have you spent a lot of time there climbing? Um, yeah, I've spent a fair, I mean, I think I've been to Africa like 10 times maybe. If you could so. live anywhere besides Vegas or, you know, some other place, where, where would you live? I don't know. Because um, you've traveled a lot. Yeah, I've traveled a lot, but... The thing is, if there was somewhere that I would prefer to live, then I would live there. You really I mean, like Vegas. Oh, no. Vegas is the best four-season climbing in the country. Vegas is, for me, like the ideal home base. I hope it's Vegas like, tourism is like paying you massive No, I know. Money. It's so annoying because everyone I talk to, I have to give this whole explanation of why Vegas is amazing because people right. only think of the Strip and they think of you know show business stuff. But um, no, Vegas is off the hook. Like I can go climb a 2,000-foot route go home, take a shower, and make it to the airport at noon. It's like, what other city in the country has like that kind of climbing, that close to a functioning airport, and with cheap houses Good and food. no income tax? No income tax is huge. Yeah, and, you know, so basically as a home base, I mean, Nevada is, is ideal for me. Well, Vegas is ideal for me. What about food choices? You mean is for there, like me is, personally? Yeah, is there, good, is there like Whole Foods and some Oh, yeah, 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 no, there's everything. I mean, our house is uh, like, a two minute walk across the street to like nine different restaurants. I mean, the, so there are a lot yeah. of things to criticize about Vegas, like urban planning style. It's all just box strip molly type suburbs sprawling into the open desert. So, I mean, it's kind of in some ways a horrendous layout, horrendous design, but it also means that all those little box stores, I mean, they're freaking every big block. There's like a whole suite of little restaurants, you know, Indian places and Thai places and like, you know, fun places to eat. There's a big grocery store like every freaking mile on each block, you know, and it's like, yeah, I mean, it's pretty convenient. Like it's very easy living. You've given me a full new perspective on Vegas. H have you read Andre Agassi's book open? Yeah, it's amazing. Is there any other books you really love? It just made me think of, of, cause I know he, he lived in Vegas for a actually, while. Actually, so I read open, I was on a climbing trip in Morocco with Tommy Caldwell. Actually, it's part of this whole film project. We were doing this big link up together. Tommy was finishing his book um, called the push, which is also a great book. But so Tommy had Andre Agassi's book open with him because he had been sort of reading Andre's book as inspiration for his own. And so Such Tommy and I were like sharing this room together. And so he was in one bed writing his book and then I was on the other bed and I read open and then I read Tommy's book. He was giving it to me in like PDF form onto my computer. So I was like reading it as he wrote it. And I was like, this is so awesome, you know, cause like open is super inspiring. And then Tommy's book, the push is also super inspiring. So between the two, I was like, I'm so amped. That's awesome. But, yeah, it was like kind of a cool experience. I think I saw but, you post, was it Ken Algunas' book oh. that, about land? And then yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this land is our land. Well. So that's, that's a really interesting I, book. You read it? I skimmed it. I'm not going to lie. And say no, you, probably, should, you should read it. Read it's so Scott, short anyway. It's like kind of a, it's kind of a gem. I thought and it was like really nice. Scott Jurek's book. Yeah, North. North. I, and I, really I read that enjoy whole that. thing. Yeah, okay. if you read North, you should definitely read This Land is I Our know. Land. Scott was coming on the podcast next. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I had to get it. I had to, I'm not a really good reader, so it's really yeah. hard for me to. Though this Land is Our Land is like 200 pages long, and it's like a delight. I love how you're I, calling me out. This is awesome. Oh. Well, I'm, you know, I'm just saying, <laughs> like, you, you, I'm sure you could read it. I could read it. You're right. And it's, it's pretty good. It's a, it's a powerful idea. I mean, it's really, it did change the way I think of private property, and it made me realize how much. <sighs> properties messed up. Yeah. Well, or no, how, how many of the things that I've taken as uh, I don't even know how you say it. Like how many of my core beliefs about private property are actually just cultural artifact, you know, or just full products of culture. 
like things that I'm like, oh, of course, private property is sacred. I'm like, actually, that's a belief that's only existed in the U.S. for the last, where it's been getting stronger for the last 50 years, but would have been completely different 100 or 200 years ago. I'm like, huh, you know, it's it's interesting when you learn something that changes your core beliefs. And I was like, oh, that's pretty, I mean, that's powerful. My fiance read it and he was just like, the Native Americans would just be, they would be horrified at just, they just don't understand what, how we would own land. Like, mm, yeah, just, totally. They're just, they wouldn't get it. Well, that's, that's exactly what I mean by cultural beliefs where, you know, like we think of, or I think of private property as meaning one thing. And then it's like good to be reminded of, of the fact that like probably billions of people on this earth think of property and think of land in a completely different way. That's interesting. Okay. We're going to put like, those in the show notes, those two yeah. books. If you could throw a party, any party, what kind of party are you having? Who's coming? What kind of food are we eating? Or what are we know. doing for activities? Well, I don't know. It depends. Like I'm, mostly I'm like, why would I ever host a party? I'm like, I've never, I've never <laughs> held a party. So I mean, there would have to be. A, oh, I mean, your girlfriend hosts the party. I was like, oh no, I just had Sorry. a little, I just had Hold a little on. panic We're gonna attack. edit that part yeah, out. It's oh, fine. I mean, okay. Sonny, Sonny will like it. She'll Sonny smile. Will like it. Okay, good. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Sorry Sonny. Sonny's my hero right now. Yeah, I don't yeah. even know her. Yeah. Um, no, no, she'll be like, oh yeah, it's TikTok, TikTok. I'll be like, oh geez. You know, where uh, where my fiance and I are engaged, and we'll probably be engaged forever. Like five more years. Yeah, we already we're like three. Yeah, it's the cool part is getting the ring and like having them propose huh. for me like actually you don't care of, about the actual event oh no, i don't i don't i don't like being like huh. this. i'm already the center of attention enough like huh. i don't need to have oh i and i can't imagine that's having, actually like, one of the, the few reasons i can see hosting a huge party is to is for a wedding or a funeral but a wedding is obviously more positive <laughs> let's hope it's a wedding well i mean weddings and memorials are sort of like the only two times where you do like big mm-hmm. big community gatherings Actually, just on my way out to Colorado, I, I did both in the same weekend, basically, like a wedding wow. on Saturday. And then on Sunday, it wasn't a memorial, but I visited um, the family of, of a friend who, who died last year. And uh, so it felt like the full spectrum of human emotion, you know, because like doing the full family wedding activity and then the next day, like visiting a family that's still dealing with loss, you know, you're like, well, it's definitely the full scope of humanity right there. Yeah, that's that's a big weekend. It was, yeah, it was really heavy. <laughs> By the time we got to Colorado, we're like, oh. Time to chill for a few days, like let let emotions settle. You know. Do you drink at all? No, I don't drink. Nothing. No. That's awesome. I, well, I always say I haven't started yet, but when I do, it's going to be probably off the hook. It, and you've never you've never drank your whole life. No. Well, I mean, I've like tried all kinds of you know I've taken sips of things, but I, I don't like it. That's awesome. There's yeah. so many people on this show who don't drink. Oh yeah. And I think it means it's, you're getting a certain kind of iconoclast, like weird. Uh, yeah, you're getting the fringe. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like when you are focused, I mean, being hungover sucks. Like it yeah, takes no, totally, a lot of energy totally. and it makes you feel, I had a beer last night at outdoor retailer and I, I felt it this morning. I had, I had a half a beer. And, uh, I mean, this is getting maybe, this is maybe more than, a, <laughs> than it needs, but, uh, I think a lot of people drink, I don't want to say to escape because that's like yeah. full alcoholism, but I think even at a casual level, I mean, there's a certain amount of escapism with like, Oh, I just want to chill. Or I just want to relax. And sure. I think then if you're leading, exactly the life that you want. You don't need the, you know, you don't need to escape from things like that. I think, I, I mean, it's agree. slightly, slightly hokey, but, but it's interesting because I, I was thinking about that. Just, I, I mean, I mentioned that I've been like gaming the last month a bit and that's very much escapism where you're like, I just want to unplug and like disappear for a period of time. I mean, I think a lot of people do the same thing through drugs or alcohol or whatever else. You know, I yeah, sort of consciously whatever. was like, I'm going to just plug myself into this computer game for a while and like, whatever, you know, kind of stupid, kind of a waste of my time. But as far as, you know, time wastes go, it's like not an unhealthy one. You know, I'm like, that's fine. 
And I just erased all that shit again. I'm fully like committed back to my normal life. And I'm like, oh, it's fine. You know, I, I just. I think you need breaks in life. Like if you're always go, 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 and your mind's like running from a tiger always. You... Yeah. And I think that for me, you know, I think that most people when they take breaks, they like go somewhere and go to the mountains and do things. But like, that's my normal life. And like, I, I'm routinely hiking, you know, 30 miles in the mountains or something like that doesn't feel like a break. And so. You know, for me, just like sitting on a sofa and just playing on my computer, like that's a break. Like that is so different than anything I ever do. Like even having that good a Wi-Fi is like really unusual for me. And so, uh, you know, it feels wildly different. I'm like, oh, that's fun. That's nice. I'm like I did that for a little bit and now I'm over it. And actually, and I found that uh, because I'd get so engrossed in it, like I would just dive in and not think about it for hours. I also wouldn't really eat or drink or like do anything else, which kind of actually helps with climbing in a way because at least I'm not just like eating cookies all day. Like if you're watching a show, I'm like, oh, I'm going to eat popcorn and like eat and stuff. But with gaming, it's like both my hands are so occupied that I just like don't do anything for eight hours. And I'm like, well, at least I'm not getting plump, you know? Because like, I mean, often if you're in full vacation mode, you're also sort of losing yeah, fitness. In this case, I was still doing the same amount of gym time and I w wasn't getting big. So I'm sort of like, oh, it's fine. You know, That's kind of nice. That's it's like not, it's not like an un yeah, it's not an unhealthy rate of vacation. Any, when you, when I also, I don't condone this in any way, right? but just for me, it worked fine. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if it works for anybody else. You should go fast and like play yeah. video games. Yeah, totally. Totally. I was like, oh, I've done know. a couple fast. They're really hard for me. Um, but, I've but, never done a real one, but I've done plenty of like, it's not, it's like routine to do like 16 hour. Like, Oh, I didn't eat since yesterday at lunch. That's weird. You know, like, and I, I kind of think that's, that should be part of the normal human experience. Yeah, like we that's like, not, yeah, food. exactly. Exactly. That's really healthy. Any gear, like essentials, you know, this is a gear show. I mean, this show is sponsored by REI. Oh, so yeah. I like to ask everybody, you know. So that's why you bring on free soloists and like runners and things like that. People that are like, well, I have one pair of running shoes. I would have brought them on anyway. Yeah. But it, it's nice to ask people about gear. No, I'm joking because those REI. are people that have like nothing. You know? I know. Exactly. I'm like, these are my favorite I shoes. I have a lot of minimalists and I'm a total minimalist. Like I don't buy anything. Yeah. I just don't. I don't need anything except for surfboards mm. and wax. Mm. That's it. So what, you know, if you are traveling, what are things you like to have with you? I mean, I always have my, 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 my two trifecta, like the two little three thing checklists I always have are like, you know, phone, wallet, keys, and then shoes, harness, chalk bag. It's like the two, you Pretty know, simple. yeah, it's like if I'm traveling, you're like, you know, in an urban setting it's like, oh, do I have my keys, my wallet, my phone? And then if I'm doing anything else, it's like shoes, harness, chalk bag. What about like food? Cause you but, don't seem to be picky, but. I mean, you like, you would probably prefer to eat healthy and if you can. Yeah, yeah, I, I try to eat relatively healthy. Um, and yeah, I've been vegetarian sort of, I don't know, in some ways I'm, I'm shying away from a label. It's like I'm sort of aspiring vegan, but you know, I eat dairy and cheese yeah. from time to time. It. Yeah, the thing is, I mean, my dietary choices have always been focused around environmental impact. And so, you know, if I'm like basically if meat is going to be wasted, then I feel like it's probably better to eat the meat than throw it away because that's like a waste of human resources. But when you're traveling, like do you take any packets? Like it's hard to eat healthy on the road. So I guess like, do you take protein powder, take green powder? Do you do any of that? Um, when I'm bars? traveling, I mean, yeah, sometimes I take bars or nut butter. I mean, it depends on the type of trip. If I'm like on an expedition or like climb a mountain somewhere remote, then yeah, I definitely take some kind of like energy food type stuff. I'll take some nut butter. Um, I'm sponsored by this company, Momentus, which makes protein powder. It's pretty oh, yeah. nice. And actually recently I've gotten into smoothies every morning, which I'm pretty into because then I'm doing like spinach, uh, protein powder, you know, some nuts, some frozen berries, like maybe an avocado or something. And then, you know, it's all really wholesome whole foods, mm -hmm. but it tastes delicious. And, 
and yeah, I kind of like it. Vitamix or a ninja? Yeah, Vitamix. Nice. All about the Vitamix. Yeah. Still, I love it because you can just like morning. throw pecans into it and it winds up perfectly smooth and beautiful and you're like, that's a good smoothie. But <laughs> anyway. That's um, awesome. Yeah, and then I'm actually also sponsored by Beyond Meat, which is... Um, the, the burgers, the vegan burgers. Yeah, okay. yeah. But Beyond Meat is sweet. They, um, I think it's uh, the future of protein is what they call themselves. And it's like, I think it's genius. Like... Even though I wasn't sponsored by them, I would fully support the company just because the environmental impact is so much less than normal meat and and it's healthier. And I think ultimately it'll probably be cheaper and probably taste better just because it's basically like a technology, you know, it'll continue to improve over time. Yeah. I'm just like, this is the way the world should be. You know, like this is what, like because in the not too distant future, you look for burgers, it'll be like two identical packages sitting next to each other that taste the same, except the one is much healthier because it's like coconut oil as opposed to animal fat. And... You know, and it's cheaper and you're like, well, obviously I'm going to choose that one. It also has a tiny fraction of the emissions associated with it. It's way better for the environment, you know? And when you think of eating beef, like people are freaking like clear cutting the Amazon to like raise cows and it's all just totally destructive in a way that just, And when you've been to the to Amazon, it's, it's really sad. I've never been actually, you but haven't? no, I don't really want to. I hate the jungle. It's too humid. <sighs> I don't like it. Either. I got dengue fever, but not from the oh, Amazon, yeah. but I had to paddle through a portion of the Amazon on a stand up paddle board and. It wow. wasn't hard. Like your grandma could have done it, but, but, you got dengue grandma, but my grandma would have died. No, I didn't get dang on that trip, but yeah. But like you just, anybody could have done the paddle. It's just that it was hot and we didn't know it was underneath us. And mm. the one part of my body that wasn't covered in bug spray and even that had bug spray was just the one part of my body wasn't covered, just got eaten alive, mm. but it was really beautiful. I don't know. The jungle can be nice. I've, I've never been a big jungle, dude. I mean, I live in Vegas. I'm all about the desert. You're a desert guy. I love dry and yeah. That's, that's yeah, awesome. I mean, the West here, I mean, I love the dryness. What are you looking forward to next? I don't know. The film release stuff. Not to say that I'm looking forward to it, but it's it's hard to look past that because the next, yeah. you know, several months of my life will be dominated are, by... Are you going to have to do some talk shows? Like, again? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure I'll be do doing the whole some, circuit. Do you have some, good one-liners ready to go? No, no. I'll think that stuff up five minutes before. I'll just be like, oh, shit, I'm going on Ellen or whatever. I better think up something. I don't know. Yeah, I think comedies. I'm like a big fan of. Do you watch comedy at all? Not really, but um, but I mean, you know, the the Late Show or something. I mean, I'd be I'd be honored to, or like the Colbert uh, report. I'd be so delighted to go on something like that. Or Saturday Night Live. I don't know. No, yeah, I never really watched it, but um, but yeah, I, I mean, but ultimately that stuff all gets decided by the publicist and the film team and whatever you know, because they have some whole plan with how they roll out the film and how they market it and how how it gets positioned. Like, I mean, I have nothing to do with all that, so I'll show up wherever I get sent. Alex, and I'm sure it'll all be a crazy experience. It's going to be awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Just last question. You know, if a lot of people want to make a living following their passions, and that's not always easy. You've done it really well. You know, I've you, gotten really lucky that, um, I mean, for me, it's just really worked out. Actually, I don't know. I mean, that's that's a hard question because uh, I was just chatting with um, some parents of like uh, a son that's trying to be a professional snowboarder or something. And I mean, it's hard because realistically, not that many people are ever going to make a living from that. So unless their child is randomly one of the best in the world, which in some ways you don't really know until you give it the whole hundred percent effort. It's just, I mean, it's hard to know, but, but I mean, I guess if you're gonna, if you, if you're here and then you die, you might as well try it. In yeah. You may as well. I mean, and in some ways I think that it's so much easier to work hard on something that you truly love. I mean, and I, and I found this that, you know, I can go climb for hours every day and feel energized afterward and pretty much anything else I do, like emailing or like practicing a talk or doing anything else, if I do it for like an hour, it feels like pulling teeth and I'm like ready to ready to quit. And I mean, I think it's the same with, with work. I mean, if you're 
working in a field that you're really passionate about, it's easy to like dive in full energy, full blast. So, I mean, I think that the closer you can align, you know, what you truly love to do with how you try to make your living, you know, the harder you can work at it, the better you'll be at it. Alex, thank you so much. It's been awesome. Where, where should people find more? AlexHonnell.com? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that, that's like linked to my agent and everything. You know, AlexHonnell.com gives basic stuff. The HonnellFoundation.org is kind of a better way awesome. to um, see what I personally care about. Okay. You know, or just follow me on Instagram if you want to see you know, a picture every month. Alex <laughs> It's uh, it's not really the, I, I don't know. I mean, I keep things relatively private in some ways. Not right. that private because I'm obviously, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a freaking movie coming out. I come and go, you know. But I think that if somebody wants to know more about me, it's not that hard to find more on the internet. Yeah. Alex, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. Alex, thank you so much for doing this interview. I really enjoyed it. And Sonny, I can't wait to meet you. We should all go surfing. So I'm just throwing it out there. Thank you also to La Sportiva. They're an amazing technical outdoor company that started in a little town in Italy. They really helped me organize this podcast interview. Thank you also to my friends at REI who helped out a lot on this. Paolo, Joe Crosby, and Chelsea Davis. I really appreciate your help and for supporting this show. Also to the folks at the Outdoor Retailer Show in Denver, they hooked me up with the most beautiful podcast room ever overlooking the entire trade show floor. So thank you guys so much. You can check out more on Alex Honnold on his website. Also check out the Honnold Foundation. They do great work. We'll have links in the show notes of the website. Just go to wildideasworthliving.com. Also, I'm throwing it out there. If you'd like to intern or volunteer for Wild Ideas Worth Living, I'm looking for someone who's a little tech savvy and can help me make audiograms. So just hit me up. You can find me on our website, wildideasworthliving.com. Thank you so much to all of you for writing reviews on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. These reviews help the show a lot. So if you want to support this show, write a review on Apple Podcasts. Wherever you're listening to this show, don't forget some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. We're off next week for Labor Day, so catch up on old shows. When we come back, we're bringing on some great guests. We have a NASA astronaut, a woman who writes about JOMO instead of FOMO. It's the joy of missing out. Big wave surfer and commentator Pete Mel, outdoor Afro founder Rue Map, and some other great surprise guests. So stay tuned. We'll see you in a few weeks. Thank you.